Yes, it's a scary sight to break bread with me, so you may want to uh, try that out at some point. Just ask my wife. So she's learned how to keep her head down and her eyes closed as we enjoy a meal together. You know, it's interesting that C.S. Lewis has kind of been kind of back in vogue again here recently, right, with all the Chronicles of Narnia movies that have been coming out. And what some of you may not know is that C.S. Lewis, who is a famous author, is actually a great um, a literature professor at Oxford University in his day, um, written a lot of books, books, some of them quite influential in the Christian journey, books like Mere Christianity and the Screwtape Letters. Um, you know, he was a, a convert to Christianity later in life. And um, while he was teaching at Oxford one day, they were holding a symposium there. And I, I think I've told the story before here at Oak Chapel, but it's, it's really, uh, to me, just a, a powerful story leading to where we're going we're gonna to go today. That, you know, the philosophy department, philosophy and religious department, decided to get a, a symposium together, and they were going to talk about the uniqueness of Christianity. What is it that makes Christianity as a world religion different? What aspect of it that really displays its power? And so they're, they're going on and on, as only academics can do, right? And they're talking about the incarnation, and there's some other face, and this and that, and that kind of stuff, and they're going through all this journey. And then finally, towards the end of the day, um, C.S. Lewis shows up in the hall where they're doing the panel discussion. And one of the guys sees him and he says, well, Dr. Lewis, what, what would you say? What is, what is it that makes Christianity unique? What, what is it that's different about Christianity? And just immediately he answered, he said, oh, that, that's easy. It's grace. What makes Christianity different than any other religion in the world is grace. God's willingness to forgive us because of what Christ did on the cross and how that grace filters itself out into the way he relates to all of his creation. When you talk about God's grace, you have to, you, you, it's, it's impossible not to follow a straight line back to the very nature of God, that God is love. The fact that God is love leads to him being gracious and his grace is founded in the fact that by nature, God loves. And that leads us to today, to the, to the next element of this conversation that God is trying to engage us in as a, as a church body and his, his people. We've been doing a series from the book of Ephesians, verses thir- chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, entitled Above and Beyond. And God has been using this passage of Scripture to engage us in a conversation. I'm not trying to give you all the answers. We're not trying to lay out a strategy. We're not trying to do, you know, th- but we're trying to engage God in a conversation as he's speaking to us. And I'd love for us to read that passage together again that we've been looking at these last few weeks. And um, many of you are memorizing that, so it'll help you in your journey of doing that. Let's say this together out loud. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Now, we've been having this conversation about how is it that God does this above and beyond, if you will, through us. And 
I'm not going to, I think a little review is helpful, but you really need to go back and you can listen to the messages if you missed them. You just go to our website underneath our media tab and it'll take you to our, our sermon link and, and all the sermons actually from months back are, are there. You won't be the only one person in the world. I'm, I'm always amazed. There's about a couple hundred downloads a week of our messages, um, several different continents, etc. It's pretty, pretty cool. So anyways, I'm, I'm glad we're able to do that ministry on a regular basis. But the, the first first engagement that God's had with us is about this power that is at work within us. That power is the Holy Spirit. And the the very first question that God's been asking us is, can we feel it? Can you feel the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life saying, there's more? There is more to my spiritual journey. There's more to the nature of God. There's more to the way that God wants to use my life. Is there more? And so we, we started out with this conversation with God was simply letting him ask us the question, can you feel it? Can you feel my presence within you in the person of the Holy Spirit saying to you that where you are at is not where you should end up? There is more. There is above and beyond all that you could ask or think. And God is calling us to the more. If, if you and I are settled I didn't say not content, because we should be content, but if we're settled, then, then we're done. I mean, there, the Holy Spirit is always saying to us as individuals, he's always saying to us as a church, we need to change. We need to change. We need to grow. We need to be shaped into the image of God. He's constantly calling us to more. The second thing that God engaged us with is that it was this reality that the greatest way that God's glory is displayed in the church is through a life that's been changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. All the architecture, all the programs, all the fancy technologies, how great the music is, or the fact that we don't have any music, whatever, you know, all the different things that churches can do to be impressive. The number one thing that glorifies God in the church is a life that is transformed by the good news of Jesus Christ. If you're not experiencing that transformation today, this is your invitation. God gives you the opportunity to turn away from a life without him, a life, without, a life of sin, and to commit to following Christ in faith and experiencing the forgiveness that comes. That invitation is to you. That is the, the number one way that God glorifies himself in the church. And what that requires of us is, are we really sharing our faith with other people? If we're going to let God do the above and beyond, and God has already told us, how can they believe if they haven't heard? And how can they hear if somebody isn't sent? How is it that, how can they come to believe what they have heard if those of us who are going never say anything? And so the number one way that we let the Spirit speak to us about, about doing the above and beyond within us is our openness to telling other people about God, sharing our faith with other people, the telling. But today, God engages us with a different conversation. And this is it. If God displays his glory in the church through a changed life by the gospel of Jesus Christ, God displays his glory through the church by the way you and I love other people. God displays his glory through the church. Before it was in, but this is through. He displays his glory most completely 
through the church by the way that you and I love other people, by the way we reflect his love, his nature of love, the grace that he's poured into us, the way we reflect that and give that away to the world. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 3. John chapter 3, if you're using one of our pew Bibles, which you'll find right underneath the seat, um, your seat, you can reach right underneath there and grab that. You'll find our text today on page 915. We're going to look at four verses from John chapter 13. Actually, we're only going to look at two, but I'm going to weave in the other three with it. So we'll, we'll deal with five all together. John chapter 13, verses 31 through 35. Our focal text is verses 34 and 35. Now, I think context is everything, right? You know, the, the, what is said, you know, it, it, it just comes to life in the context in which is offered. So we got to recognize as we go into this passage, before we ever reading, this is the last night of the life of Christ. He's in the upper room with the disciples. He's just got done washing their feet. In other words, he took on the role of a slave, took off his clothes, whatever, presented himself as the servant. He did what, what no other Jewish man would ever do. He touched the feet of another man because only slaves did that. He did that as a demonstration of the way that he wanted to serve his disciples. We know from the other three Gospels that right after that, they experienced the Lord's Supper, what we experienced in the bread and the cup. And then when Judas has left the room, and it's now the faithful that is left, Jesus said, all right, I need to complete the rest of the story. And so he begins to share with them. And he says, first of all, this is how the Son of Man is going to be glorified. Now, the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. That's going to take place the very next day. That glorification, the way that God displays his glory most completely, and the glory of the Son is through the greatest sacrifice of love as Christ climbed up on the cross and bore our sins, and we were forgiven through what he's done. That's, that's the greatest display, and that's great, Jesus' greatest mark of glory. Not walking on water, <laughs> not, not, not feeding the masses with a happy meal, not calling a Lazarus back to death, but the greatest display of God's glory through Christ to us was the love sacrifice he made when he died on the cross. Chapter, verse 32 tells us how God returned the favor says, and the Father is going to glorify. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him at once. That's a reference to the resurrection. He's going to die on the cross on Friday, be buried, resurrected on Sunday morning, and God is displaying the glory of Christ through his resurrection. So Jesus said, well, what's going to happen after that? Well, I'm going to go away. You're going to look for me. You're not going to find me. And you can't come right away. i got a job for you to do on the planet. That's what he says in verse 33. Children, I am with you a little while longer, literally just a few hours, 40 days after the, ascension, after the resurrection and then the ascension. He says, you're going to look for me. And just as I told the Jews, and that's a couple chapters earlier, where I'm going, you can't come. So I'm telling you now. He said, but i got a job for you to do. And this is what he says. I give you a new commandment. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you must also love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. 
So here Jesus is, is giving his last will and testament to his disciples. And he said, here's the, here's the deal. I want you guys to love each other. The way God displays his glory through the church in this above and beyond kind of way is the way that you and I love one another. So let's unpack this just a little bit. Let's first of all look at this mandate that, God, that Jesus gives the disciples that he gives to us. Now, I've never been in the army. I never had a desire to be in the army. I have a lot of respect for the people who serve in the military. But, I, you know, I've been on a I, I've, I've been coached by a couple of drill sergeants, but, you know, kind of idea. But, I, you know, the, the feeling you get from this is Jesus has got the disciples together. He's in the upper room, and he says, listen, guys, I'm giving you a direct order. Love one another. This isn't a suggestion. It's not just a good idea. It doesn't make for great poems or the source of great books. I'm giving you an order. Love one another. And the thing I want you to see in this first aspect as we look at the mandate, I want you to look at the scope of his charge to us. We're supposed to love other people. We're supposed to love one another. Well, you could, might interpret that to mean that we should love fellow believers, the people who are in the church. You know, obviously, we are. I, I think it goes much further than that. I, I don't think you can take this and rip it out. Jesus has said that the second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as you love yourself. So there is this mandate for us to love other believers and to love everyone. Now, let's get practical with this. The person who's sitting three or four chairs over from you right now and is texting on their phone and is making you really annoyed, you are responsible to love them. The person who posts stuff on Facebook about politics or whatever just makes your blood boil, you are responsible to love them. The neighbor down the street whose dog always does their business in your yard and never picks it up, you are responsible to love them. The teenager that you have in your family who always leaves the radio way too loud so when you turn the key in your car, it just blah. You are responsible to love them. And the list could just go on and on, right? That person at work, who's always just so loud in their cubicle and you can't get any, you are responsible to love them. You know, and the list could just go on and on. God expects for us to love everyone, not just the lovable. He says the Gentiles, the people who don't know Christ, the people who don't have the love of God within them, don't have the presence of God, don't have the Holy Spirit within them. They love people that love them. They love the easy people. God said, I want you to love the tough people. <laughs> I want you to love everyone, right? And this is a critically important kind of question for us. You know, um, because you're not going to find perfect people in the church. If you want to find somebody in the body that's going to discourage you, you can say, you know, I'm not going back there because of so-and-so. You know, they, they did this, they said that, they didn't do this, they're always doing that or whatever. You know, and say, that's it, I'm not going. You're going to find that person, guaranteed. You will. And I'm going to tell you, you, when you get to heaven and God says to you, why did why, you disconnect from the people of God? And you say, well, so-and-so was a jerk. They're going to say, so what? I died for them. They're, they're, we are responsible to love the good, the bad, and the ugly, and everybody in between. 
And that's the mandate that we have is to love everyone. That's a tough mandate. But, you know, when, when, you're, when you sense the Holy Spirit within you saying, you know what, I, I, I need to find a way to love this person better. This person's broken, they're hurting, they're angry, they're, they're, whatever, they're, they're, they're immature, whatever the word is. That, that is the Holy Spirit trying to call us to above and beyond kind of activity in the body of Christ. You know, it's interesting that, that one of the questions that we ask as we consider people who could, you know, as we're prayerfully kind of sorting through who, who God is really calling and preparing to serve as an elder in the life of Hope Chapel, and there's a number of factors we look at, but one of those is, can, can this person deal with the dark side of the church and still love people and love the body of Christ? Because there are going to be people who commit major moral failures. We've seen that happen. We've, we're, we have people who are just going to be angry, critical whiners who are just going to beat on you and beat on you. Beat on. We've had that. You know, we have other people who just, they're going to make huge commitments and they're going to walk away and not do any of it. And they're going to disappoint you and discourage you. We've seen that. And, and, and as, a, as, a, as a leadership team, we have to be the people to say, I see that and I love them anyways and I love the body of Christ anyways and we're moving forward. Because that's what God calls us to. The scope is for us to love everyone, to love one another. That's the mandate. Well, what's the, what's the manner of this love? What's the model or the mold? And again, this just kind of comes right out of the text. Jesus said, as I have loved you, love one another. Now, we, so what Jesus is saying, here's, here's, my, here's my instruction. Here's the orders. Love one another. And when I say love one another, I'm saying I want you to love other people the way that I have loved you. Now, you know, this, boy, you know, there's lots of different adjectives that you could use, right? And here's a, to describe the love of Christ. Let me just use a few. First of all, when we talk about loving Christ, other people in the same way that Christ loved us. It means that you and I take the initiative in loving other people. We don't sit back and just wait for the opportunities to kind of have We take the initiative. We step to the door. We try to make it happen. The, the Scripture says, you know, in this is love. Not that we loved God, but that God loved us first and then sent his son, Right? We, we have this obligation to take this step forward, to, to take the risk, to step out, and to be active in trying to build connections of love with other people. We have to take the initiative. In this, you know, the, you know, the, the, the Scripture says, in this is love, that while we were yet sinners, Jesus took the first step and he died for us. There needs to be an active, initiating kind of aspect to that. Here's another. First of all, it, secondly, it... it it, there needs to be a sense of risk to it. We're not just talking about safe love. We're talking about risky love. We're talking about the kind of love where we can love other people and they can just fail. We can love on them and love on them and, and just nothing ever happens. That, that's the way Jesus has loved us. That's the way that he has loved others. He, he, it was a risky love. You know, he, he, he loved the leaders. He loved the Jewish nation. Many people didn't respond to him, rejected him, put him on a cross. It was risky. It was unsafe. 
but he does it anyways. It has to be risky kind of love. It needs to be the kind of love that breaks through barriers. Not just a matter of, I mean, the, the part of this taking the first steps is, is to actually get out of our circle and go find other people <laughs> to love. We've got to be breaking down barriers. You know, Jesus, one of, the, one of the moments in the journey of Jesus where his disciples were the most surprised was when they came back from the village with some food and they find Jesus sitting at a well talking to a Samaritan woman. And they're looking at each other and saying, what in the world is this guy doing? First of all, she's a woman. Men don't really speak to women. Women, you know, kind of men are up here and kind of women. You know, she's a Samaritan. We hate them people. What in the world is he doing talking to a Samaritan woman? Jesus is breaking down barriers because that's the way you love. It's, it's the kind of... of, of of love that, that, that breaks through. When you see Jesus responding to the lepers, everybody else is, is running from the lepers, right? Everybody else is, is like the, the, the religious leaders on the story of the, um, the Good Samaritan who are passing over to the other side and staying away from the guy who's injured. And Jesus goes up and, and, and he crosses the barrier and he touches the leper. He, he, he looks at the brokenness where the, the biggest need is and says, I want to go there. I want to go there. He's breaking barriers and, and connecting. That's what God calls us to, this risky kind of unsafe kind of level where we're stepping out and doing the kind of stuff that scares us. And we're touching what seems like the untouchable. We see he did it with sinners, right? One of the constant criticisms of the leadership, the Jewish leadership of Jesus was that he hung out with sinners, right? He met guys like Matthew on the road and said, hey, let's go have dinner together. He met guys like Zacchaeus who were standing up in a, in a tree just trying to connect. say, you know what, let's go hang out. I want to go to your house. I'm going to your house to hang out today. He's breaking down the barriers between the righteous and the sinner. He's connecting with them. To love like Jesus means that we're people who are breaking down barriers, we're crossing barriers, and we're connecting with people who are different than us, who seem like the untouchables, who seem like the people, people, kind of people. We don't want them influencing us. We want to stay away. That's who God calls us to. That's how we do the kinds of things. It's the type of love, if you ask me, that is, can only be sustained by forgiveness and a constant experience of the grace of God. You know, I, like I said, it, it's almost impossible to put into words. I'm grateful that the Apostle Paul was already inspired by God to do so. Just, you may be taking notes, and if you want to write down this reference, it's 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Many of you are not going to be surprised by this. This is one of these passages of scriptures that gets read at weddings all the time. If you ask me, this is the type of passage that you should read when you're going into a moment of tremendous conflict because this is where it really hits the road. Listen to what Paul inspired the Apostle Paul to write. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the fourth verse. He says, love's patient. To love like Christ is to be patient. Love is kind. Love doesn't envy. Don't get jealous. It's not boastful. It's not conceited. Love never acts improperly. Never says a word, does anything that isn't appropriate and right in the eyes of God. It's not selfish. 
It's not provoked. Love never gets angry. Love does not keep a record of wrongs. Love has an eraser on the end of its pencil, right? Finds no joy in unrighteousness, but it rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things. Put, in other words, puts up with everything. Hopes all things. Endures all things. Love never ends. Jesus looked at his disciples the last night of his life. He said, I want you to love everyone, and I want you to love them like that. I got one last point. Because really the end of the line is, you know, how can you tell, right? How can you tell if you're loving like Jesus, right? You know, it, it, it's not like you go to the doctor and they can take their stethoscope and say, you know, listen and say, oh, yeah, you're, you know, you're, yeah, yeah. how can you tell? Well, Jesus gives us a measurement, actually. He gives us a measurement. And here it is. We can tell if we are loving others as Christ loved us, if the world is forced to admit that the only reason we're like that is because we follow Christ. If that's not happening, then we're really not loving others the way as Christ loved us. You know, and to me, this is an incredibly important truth for the church today. We live in a time, maybe it's always been like this, but it's crystal clear to me, at least in this moment of my journey, that, that by our very commitment to what is right in the eyes of God and, and because of our love for people and therefore never being able to be in a position to call what is sin to say that it's not sin, we are going to be a kind of people that are always looked at as something that we're, we're the... We're the negative people. We're against stuff, right? We're against divorce. We're against abortion. We're against this and we're against that, that kind of stuff. And, you know, and, 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 and so it's very easy for the church to become known for what we're against. The challenge, and Jesus gave this to us 2,000 years ago, the challenge is for all of that to be overwhelmed because of what we are known for. And that is by the way that we love people. You know what? We, we need to be in a position where the world is saying, you know what? I don't agree with anything that they really believe, but I got to tell you, I'm amazed at the way that they love people. And the only way I can explain it is because they follow Christ. It's because of their faith. That's what God's asking us to do. If you and I are just kind of loving other people in the typical, usual, you know, like the good neighbor down the street kind of thing, etc., this isn't happening. God is calling us to a radical, indescribable, unbelievable kind of love where people have to say, you know what? The only reason they're like that is because they follow Christ. The only way they're like that is because they follow Christ. That's the kind of love that God is calling us to. It's an incredible challenge. He calls upon us to love the different and to do it in a real and a powerful way such that the world has to say, you know what? That's because they follow Christ. They give themselves away. They're committed. They expend this much energy. They, they love on people. They put up with people. They, they do that because they follow Christ. You know, I read just not too long ago uh, the account of a missionary who had gone to India about the middle of the last century, 1940s, 1950s, somewhere in that period of time. And 
And he had gone to really kind of blaze, to kind of set up an opportunity for more missionaries to follow him. And when he got to India, he was very energized, real zealous. And not too long after getting there, he, he developed tuberculosis. He got TB. So the strategy for caring for that, the protocols back then, was to put you in a hospital ward for a month or two until you recovered. So you just went in the hospital, you just stayed in the hospital. So he got in the hospital, and, and he was eager to be able to share his faith with other people. So as soon as he got there, he got settled in, he's trying to share with the staff, he's trying to share with the fellow patients in the TB ward, and nobody would have anything to do with him. He had, you know, evangelistic tracts, and nobody would take any. He had copies of the Gospel of John. Nobody would take any. He was trying to talk to people about spiritual things that nobody would engage him at all. He's just totally isolated. Been there for a couple of weeks, no progress. Um, one night, he woke up in the middle of the night, woke himself up from coughing, just coughing so severely, he just woke up. And he was working to try to get his coughing under control so he could go back to sleep. While he was awake... He heard an older man, a few beds over, who was calling for help. This guy was an older guy, very weak. He was trying to sit up on the edge of his bed, and he was calling for staff to come help him to take him to the bathroom. And nobody came. He wasn't able to get out of the bed, and with that, the guy soiled himself and soiled the bed. And within a few hours, as day began to break, it just really smelt awful. You know, it's just... I mean, the whole ward just kind of reeked of all of this. And so the very next day, I mean, you know, when the staff finally came in, they were angry at him. They were yelling at him. They, you know, they, they yelled at him over and over again. And it was the day kind of came to a close. And he was, they were putting him to bed again. So you don't do that again tonight and that kind of stuff. Other patients on the ward were also giving him a hard time, telling him that kind of stuff. And so the very next night, very, the same thing happened guy woke up in the middle of the night from his coughing, and, and while he's awake, he hears this older gentleman a few beds over, again, trying to get out of bed, sit, trying to get onto the edge of the bed so he can get up, too weak to do so, calling for help, nobody's coming. So this missionary gets up out of his bed, he walks over to the older guy, and he picks him up and he carries him to the toilet. Waits for the guy, takes him back, puts him back into bed, gets him settled in, pulls up his blankets, et cetera. Gets a, then he goes and gets back into bed. By the middle of the next morning, one of the patients comes around to his bed and says, you still got some of those books you were trying to pass out? The staff came by, started to ask him a little bit more about this Christ that he was talking about and asking for copies of the Gospel of John. When the, it was when the world saw a love that they couldn't explain. They really became curious about the God that this person followed. That's how God wants and will do the above and beyond through the church is in the way that we love other people. Not how glamorous our programs are, how many waffles they serve at the Kids Connection kickoff, though I was out there, wish I was out there eating one. But you know, it, it's, 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 it's not all that kind of stuff. What's going to display the glory of God through the church, through the world, is by the way that we love other people. 
So I have a question for you. It's not, I think I know your answer because I think I know my answer. And the question is, it, it really goes like, and I want to make sure I get it right. Do I bring glory to God by the way that I love other people? Because the world can only attribute it to Christ. Do you bring glory to God through the way that you love other people because people can only attribute it to your faith in Christ? Do I bring glory to God through the way that I love other people because people can only attribute it to my faith in Christ? That's the question that God's seeking to engage us in dialogue about. Can we feel it? Are we willing to tell the story of Christ so that God can be glorified in the church through changed lives? Are we truly willing to love other people in such a way that the glory of God is revealed to the world through the way we love other people? That's what God's asking us. Now, God's already made a promise. He's, He's able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think. If we let this power work within us, God's going to be glorified. The question is, is God being glorified through the way we love other people? That's my question to you today. I think it's a question that comes directly from the heart of God. Some of us, we, we may not really feel that voice within us because we don't have the presence of the Holy Spirit within us because we've never made a decision to become a follower of Christ, to turn away from our sin and to place our faith in Christ, to experience the grace that comes to us because of God's love for us, to be forgiven and and to be a follower after Christ. I invite you to make that choice today if you've not made it. We always have a way for you to do that on your connection card. I'm standing in the lobby. I'd love to connect with you. Some other stuff. We had some great follow-up resources. But embrace the person of God within you known as the Holy Spirit who challenges us to love other people like we love Christ. Others of us, (laughs) you know, we... We, we know we've got the Holy Spirit, right? We're, we're believers in Christ. There's fruit in our lives that show that. And yet, we know that we don't feel that pull of God to this above and beyond kind of loving of other people. And, and I got to tell you, we, we get really good at what Paul calls quenching the Holy Spirit, right? You know, if you think about it, you know, we're, we're listening to the Holy Spirit, and he's telling us how much God loves us, and all these invested in us, and the fruit of the Spirit that's within us, and certainty of the salvation, and all this stuff. And then all of a sudden, it turn, the Spirit starts talking about loving other people, and we, we find a way to sh- just, just the channel, just a little bit. Because, you know, I, I can't deal with that right now. i got so much going on in my life, you know, with my family, and my career, and my parents, and my children, and this and that, and my health, and I, I just can't deal with it. And we have a way to squeezing that all out. And, and we're quenching the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit shows up in our lives every single day and said, you know, Jesus said, gave you an order, direct order, love one another as I have loved you, so that the world is forced to confess that the only reason you love like that is because of Jesus. Let it be true of us. Let's pray together for just a moment. God, this is one of those, those dialogues that a lot of us want to run away from, myself included. We think about all that we might have to invest in it, the ways we need to change, the dynamics of relationships that need to be altered, 
the forgiveness that needs to be granted. Got all that stuff. It just it just the, the cost and energy and time and emotion and et cetera. There's just a lot of us. Boy, I just hope I just want this to go away. But God, we know there's nothing as great as experiencing your glory. So as we run, get ahead of us and confront us, we pray for your glory, that the world might truly know that we are your followers by the way we love others. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.